Hello, welcome to our podcast. I'm Josh Way. I'm Dan Hammer. And we're here to revisit a movie that one or both of us has seen before and find out how it holds up. You had an exciting week since the last time we spoke, correct? I I mean I don't know if I'd call it exciting. It was it was good. It was fun. We went to Hawaii for a few days. Nice. And you've never been around. Before. I'd never been. It's a lovely place. We went to Kauai, and that's where they filmed Jurassic Park and Lost. So it kind of has that look. Oh, sure. And I don't like doing things. And the people I'm traveling with do like to mm-hmm. do things. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I need to be part of the group. I feel like I need to be in my son's memories. And so I go along and I do things. Yeah. And there's there are these new Puritans who say you need to make the most of life and seize the day. And I'm 37, and I think I've experienced enough. I sure. think I'm done with. Ex- I think I'm done with experiences. <laughs> yeah. Full up on life experience. But I did get to see some beaches that were nice, and we went on a couple hikes that were excruciating. Mm. And now I'm back. Wonderful. Well, welcome back. Thanks. Did you see any movies? I saw Bad Times at the El Royale. On the plane, there were a pretty good number of films available on their movie player, Mm. and I'd seen a lot of them, or they fell into my unacceptable, (laughs) never going to see it. Your vast, unacceptable bin. (laughs) I couldn't quickly tell you what those are. But Bad Times at the El Royale, that was just on the precipice of my not going to see it. And it's the one I chose. I fell asleep, I think for a while. But it didn't seem to affect my understanding of the plot. So whatever happened while I was asleep didn't seem to have didn't seem to be crucial. Mm-hmm. I heard it's long. <laughs> it is long. It's two and a half hours. I really enjoyed it. I didn't expect to like it. It looked to me like one of those huge ensemble casts where you're just sort of enjoying watching actors that you know walk in the door playing a silly character and then there's maybe some mayhem and intrigue and it is that a little bit to a degree it plays out almost more like a stage play in the way that the actors speak to one another and how they're just on a few of the same settings and it brings in a few plot strands that it just does nothing with Mm -hmm. in in an interesting way you don't have an omniscient point of view you're watching as an observer as some things roll out and some things remain mysteries and some things you figure out. Hmm. And I feel like it comes to a satisfying conclusion where characters that you're rooting for, things come out okay for them instead of just tragically. And there are interesting themes of good and evil that to me were represented by the duality of the hotel itself mm-hmm. and a lot of it is film tropes and noir cliches but i was there for it the performances were good it looked great it kept my interest for a couple hours on a plane great. i recommend bad times oh, good. at the Al royale i'm real i'm just Did realizing you, you asked me not to make you go first so thank you for sorry about that i live to please <laughs> I I wanted to see this and I missed it in the theater and it's been out streaming and on video for a long time and I've just not gotten around to it. But 
I like the director, Drew Goddard, writer-director. He made a movie called um, Cabin in the Woods. That was a very interesting genre uh, experiment. And uh, I think he's also one of the co-creators of The Good Place. Oh, is he? Yeah. So I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed well, it, and I'm going to check it out. I saw a bunch of stuff, but I'll try to uh, I'll try to get through it quick. I saw two theatrical releases, new movies. I saw Shazam, which is a, a catch up with you. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think. Um, so for you, I feel like your take. If I'm thinking <laughs> back, <laughs> I was hoping to have kind of a matinee fantasy romp mm-hmm. with. Oh, Zachary that's right. Levi yeah, and, you had those. And then he was like. <laughs> then he was a which kid. were squandered <laughs> early know, on. Yeah, like a, I'm over this. So I, I think I'm a little more of a comic book movie guy than you. I'd, I'd say you're slightly more, slightly more into it than I am. Uh, but I didn't love this movie. I gave okay, it two and a half why. stars Ooh. on my uh, letterboxed review that night. Two and a half is an Ebert negative. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, it's perfectly fine. It's a lot of fun. It's better than most of those DC Comics movies. But I felt like it was too long. And I just kind of felt like the whole, hey, dude, I'm a superhero thing. It's, it's like a couple decades late. I mean, I know that's just what the title is. And it's an old title. So it's not like really the movie's fall. I liked, I guess the things I liked about it were, it was funny. The kids were good. I liked that it pushed the boundaries of PG-13. Like when, you know, movies involving kids and adventure go a little bit over the top with the adventure and the scariness. But I, I just felt a little tired and a little too long. It felt like a trudge by the end. I think that I liked the real world aspects of it better than the superhero aspects. Mm-hmm. I didn't go in for the mythology. That didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I liked the family. Mm-hmm. And I like their relationships and seeing what was going on. But I I didn't really get who Shazam is or what that's supposed to be about with the statues and the ancient lore. That didn't really hook me. And I felt when it got to the end where all the kids become superheroes, I just mainly felt like I missed the kids. You know what I mean? I wanted to see the kids do more stuff. I didn't want to see them turn into... I think you you commented on that as well that they kind of just became samey and and I guess this movie's message is that superheroes are tall and shapely and muscular. Um, you know, it'd be kind of fun for once to see what a differently shaped superhero would be like. Yeah, they made no time for it. Yeah, because I agree with you. I think it would take some cleverness to think how are you going to say costume a superhero who is who has a few extra pounds mm-hmm. that's that's a little different you don't want to turn it into like a jonah hill joke sort of a character right. or if a superhero retains a disability what does that look like you could do something mm-hmm. cool with that it takes time and care and reality is how long were they superheroes like for 10 right. minutes of the movie after we've met them and then these adults are not the characters that we've met and made some feelings with, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, then on Wednesday night last week, I saw the new Terry Gilliam movie, uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, the movie he's been trying to make for 20 years. In, I don't know if it was 99 or 2000, I saw the documentary Lost in La Mancha, 
which was about then 20 years ago was about the failed the first couple of failed attempts to make this movie and here we're finally getting the the finished movie in 2019 there's a movie about all the failed yeah and it contains the the footage he shot with johnny depp as the character who's now played by adam driver in the finished version of the film and his original don quixote um french actor whose name escapes me at the moment has been replaced by Jonathan Price of Brazil, oh. who uh, is excellent. The cast is great, and the movie's a lot of Gilliam-esque mayhem and craziness, and there's some really fun elements, and I it was fun to watch, but ultimately, I think it's another two-and-a-half-stars situation. Oh. It's a mess. It's a <laughs> mess of a movie. Sounds, sounds yeah. great. Every time you say the title, I hear the word donkey. Yeah. And that so that's like what comes to my mind first, like a donkey named Hote. Sure. I think that's not no. what it's about. There is a though. donkey in the movie, uh, Sancho Panza, is Don Quixote. Don Quixote. <laughs> I guess I should pronounce it properly, Don Quixote. It's weird and insane, and you don't know what you're seeing. But then in in the uh, in the summation of things, it just kind of feels like yeah, that's what Terry Gilliam would do with that story of Don Quixote of La Mancha. What about from a perspective of new criticism? If you knew nothing of Gilliam's work, mm-hmm. would you just be gobsmacked? Uh, not in a good way. I think that the I think I give it a little more patience and open minded, open heartedness because I know oh, it's Gilliam. If I if someone if I didn't know the name of the filmmaker and this film was put in front of me, I would be like, oh boy, that needed to be toned down and, and rewritten. And it just wants to do everything. It wants to change tones on a dime, and it wants to play with every little idea it has. And then there's there's like Brexit stuff in there, and there's Trump stuff in there, and it's kind of like just it's a big loaf of ideas. I want to get to a place in my career where I can put forth careless mediocrity and have everyone be like oh it's dan yeah, right yeah <laughs> that's fine it's gonna be a good good station <laughs> that's that's who he is <laughs> so that was a letdown um yeah then i streamed a couple of movies i streamed the kindergarten teacher on netflix which is a i believe it's a remake of an israeli movie about a kindergarten teacher here played by maggie gyllenhaal who discovers one of her students a five-year-old is a poetic savant and then uh, also discovers that his family isn't really interested in that. So she kind of becomes obsessed with him and making sure that he has an opportunity, but it, it goes, it crosses a line. It sounds Matilda-esque. Yeah. yeah it's very, it's very understated and, and quiet and, and art housey, but I, I enjoyed it very much. Her, her performance is good. The kid is something else. So anyway, that's a recommendation on the kindergarten teacher. It's right there on Netflix. And the other thing I streamed was Guava Island on Amazon Prime, which they, they've been plastering all over social media last week. This The new movie from Donald Glover and Rihanna is uh, going to be free this weekend. And, uh, and then I watched it only to discover it's not really a movie. I mean, that might be unfair, but it's a 55-minute musical sketch, music video kind of sk- skit built around existing songs that he already released last year. And it just kind of puts a story around it in which he is a genius songwriter whose music unites the people of a small island to rebel against their overlords. It it reminded me of M. Night Shyamalan writing himself into a movie as a brilliant writer who's writing will save the world right. one day. I mean, that's, I'm being a little harsh. I, I like the music and I like Childish Gambino and I like Rihanna and they're fun to watch, but... It, 
I just felt like it wasn't much of a movie. That sounds pretty unsatisfying. Yeah. I'm going to skip it. Good plan. Smart thinking. It sounds like something sounds like something other people might like. Yeah. So probably I won't. Anything else going on, Dan? Like in my inner life? In your or... inner life, in the entertainment industry, in <laughs> the, the world of, of things you care about. I mean, my inner life and the entertainment industry are closely entwined. I would imagine. Do you have do you have tickets for anything this week? What are you going to see? I don't know. I haven't decided. And I'll tell you why I haven't decided. Because today I opened up my AMC app and it logged me oh, out. Oh, no. So my favorite theaters are not there for me quickly. Oof to take a look at what I might see. And I thought, I can't do this. And right logging now. back in, not an option. <laughs> it was not, not in that moment for me. I couldn't bring myself to do it. So I don't even it's a know. a harrowing tale, Dan. <laughs> really relatable tale of 21st century <laughs> life. Know, I, was, I was just done. I threw the phone down and it hit the floor. And Josh was like, that's not the table. And I was like, I know. A cautionary tale. So that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably end up at Pet Cemetery if we can, because I think that that's something we both want to see. And after that, who can sure. say? No, you know what? Sit tight. <laughs> I've got a computer on Uh-oh. my lap, and I can type in the name of the theater wow. that I go to. This is to. exciting. This is real time. I know. So presumably what's today will be there tomorrow or all these one-word titles. Yeah. I don't want to see Wonder Park. No, I don't either. Does not have a credited director. He was fired for sexual harassment halfway through the production. I still saw Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it doesn't uh, disqualify. <laughs> and, I, and I liked yeah. it. And yeah. I liked it. All right. After, uh, um, Tessa Young is a dedicated student, yeah. a dutiful daughter, a loyal girlfriend. Is that the description of after? Oh, she meets a... She, After's yeah, she based on One Direction brooding, fan fiction. Oh, meets a brooding rebel who makes her question all she thought she knew about herself. Yeah, that doesn't look like my jam. Little this is an exciting new that. feature, by the way, browsing movies with Dan. <laughs> oh, Little. I might want to see Little. Yeah. That's something that I could totally see myself yes, enjoying. Yeah, that seems like a, a one that you'd go for. Yeah, the, the young actress, she's really talented. Yeah. And I, I liked the, the trailer. Word on that movie. that movie is great performances, Bad script, yeah. but yeah, it looks like fun. Ugh, missing link. I'm not gonna look. I'm not That's gonna my ticket that. tomorrow. Yeah, is it really? I, it's that leprechaun, like humanoid. It's, uh, it's Bigfoot, and it's played by Zach Galifianakis. But the reason I'm going is because it's Leica, the studio, the stop motion studio that did uh, Coraline and Paranorman and Kubo. They do some interesting work. He's tired of living in the Pacific Northwest. It's already unrealistic. Yeah. No one gets tired of living here and no one leaves and they housing prices. He has an adventure with Hugh Jackman, up. so. You're not selling it for me. <laughs> I, I already know your Hugh Jackman rant. Hugh, what is it with Hugh Jackman? Everything about him is right and just I'm not right when it comes to Hugh Jackman. He would, if we had lunch, he'd probably be gracious and a kind companion and I'd give him the cold shoulder. Yeah, what's your problem, Dan? All right. I I don't know why I don't like Hugh Jackman. He's like I'm exactly yeah. his demographic. Sure. And I don't know if I resent him or That's the indication you've given me in the past on. that you're on to him. <laughs> it, you're not having I know, his it, bullshit. It's gone on It's gone on for a while. <laughs> he's on He's on blast. An, um so I'm not going to go to Hellboy. Yeah. Is that because of your fierce loyalty yeah. to Guillermo del Toro and his original vision of Hellboy or is that just cuz well, you're Dan? 
I don't know what it's about. Yeah. All right, so um, pet pet cemetery. I think I might right. go to. No, I I enjoyed that. Gave it uh, three and a half, I think. So tomorrow's missing link, and I'm very excited. And then Thursday night is Rift Tracks Live Octoman. So that's oh. exciting. My buddies. I understand the first part of that. <laughs> They're gonna riff a bad octopus monster movie. I mean, I'm assuming it's bad. Maybe I'll be delighted and surprised. Three and a half stars. They just kind of go through and give it yeah. praise for all right. of their good choices. And then eventually they'll just step aside, remain silent, out of I'm respect. Trying to be, trying to be a, a little bit more right. positive. The Best of Enemies, that sure went yeah. nowhere. Is it bad? It seems like it's kind of bad. Yeah, huh? I think the general reaction was more of this, another one of these. Like I, I think it's schmaltzy. Yeah, it's like more, more Green Book than Green yeah. Book. Like maybe it would have had a shot if we didn't just have the green book year, but yeah, we should have should have called it greener book. They got to pace themselves out with the uh, solving racism movies. Oof, half a star. Yikes. Um, rough. Roger Ebert. Do you yeah. still check RogerEbert.com? Because I do all the time, even yes, though he's not. there. I always do. I like the critics they have there, but I, I, it's a reflex left over from when he was alive. I still give clout, yeah. to whatever star rating that site gives, because I think that they take it take the legacy seriously yeah and mad solar sites gave uh three and a half stars to missing link so i don't need to defend myself <laughs> to anyone <laughs> you no one said you did it seems kind of defensive <laughs> no hey if i'm honest hey. no i just first off i know that you're an animated film guy I, I can enjoy an animated film i'm less drawn to it though i don't like the look of that character i don't want to see him sure um I do like Zach Galifianakis. I like him a great deal. Yeah. I don't know that I felt so seen or represented in entertainment until I watched Baskets. Really? Love Baskets. I feel... I just watched I the like... last episode on Hulu last night. I'm so sad. I already need more. Yeah. Baskets understands the world of my experience. <laughs> that is the world I live in is the world of Baskets. That show is a, is some kind of like alchemy. I don't know what it is. Like it started out as just, it felt like when it started, it was just another Zach Galifianakis vehicle where he was trying that, that the twin, the Dale character, the twin character that he does elsewhere in movies in some of his old comedy specials. But somewhere along the line, it found its heart and it's just one of the most wonderful things on television. Chip is just so sincere and Dale is ridiculous. Yeah. And I love how he is, played to me so stereotypically flamingly gay but i guess not <laughs> right <laughs> which is kind of part of the bizarreness yeah He's, he seems so confident in this persona that the culture around him would tell him is unacceptable right and he's and he just is so okay with it and confident and i mean <laughs> christine baskets is a revelation <laughs> of character I, I know her so well. I only remember that it's Louis Anderson when I'm not watching it. Yeah. Yeah. And Martha should be one note. <laughs> right. Yet she continues to delight. Yeah. With her never healing arm. <laughs> it's so quotable. I Googled her and nothing came up. Yep, that's her. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's her. <laughs> it's lovely. That and Atlanta have been my favorite things that I've been streaming lately. I, I didn't really that. give Atlanta enough of a chance. I watched a first episode and I thought, oh, that's pretty good. And I just didn't continue with it. Yeah. Um, but that's that's to my shame. 
I think it gets by all accounts. It's wonderful. It gets more involving in season two, and it's the kind of it, it gets into the kind of thing where every single episode in that second season is a different genre, like little miniature movie. But it's always interesting. I feel like for a while I was overwhelmed by this new non-curated world of television form offerings. You used to be able to think, okay, here are the networks and here are the shows that they have orders for the season and this is the night that it's on and you kind of make a little schedule in your head. And now it's just like, oh, this is a new good show. Oh, this is a new good show. Have you heard about this show? Oh, you yeah. should try that show. And it's on all different platforms and different season lengths. And I was really slow to adapt. I'm still slow to adapt to the new way that the world is that just one night you need to turn it on and you need to start streaming and then you need to go back to it yeah. and finish it up. And that's how we do TV now. Yeah. And it really makes the, uh, it really makes the good stuff rise to the top because if I don't, I have not finished uh rest of development season five yet. Cause it doesn't, when oh. I make myself go and do that little, do my rounds through, you know, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, I, I, there's some that I remember every time and I, but, but then again, there's ones that I absolutely love that I keep forgetting to watch like catastrophe, which is also great. What's that one? It's uh Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan. He, you know who Rob Delaney is comedian. I'm about, I'm about to, You're about to. <laughs> he's uh probably the best at Twitter of anyone. And he's a comedian. He's got a lot of very raw material about his alcoholism. And some of that's in this show too. So he's basically an American who goes to England and has a one night stand and impregnates a lady and then decides to get married and give it a go. And it's about their calamitous marriage. Well, I'll have to give that a shot. And Carrie Fisher, uh, RIP plays his mother. Mm -hmm. It's only uh three or four, four, I think quick six episode seasons. You know, it's a UK show, so it's got that uh, quality, not quantity thing going on. Well, you've sold me. I'm going to give it a watch. Yeah, it's great. All right, Dan, that was fun. Good night. It was fun. <laughs> Good <segment>. Bye. <laughs> All right, why don't we take a break and we'll come back and talk about traffic. Okay. See ya. All right, welcome back to Holds Up. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the, is it 2000? 2000. Steven Soderbergh movie, Traffic. Now, Dan, you were regaling me with stories about myself related to uh, this movie year. <laughs> I have this memory that you deny, and you're wrong, that you had, well, the memory that is not wrong is that you had an Oscar party that year, that we agree on, I think. Sure. Sounds like and something I would have done. In those days, trailers were not all over the place like they are today, and you managed to get your hands on the trailers of each of the Best Picture nominees, except for Aaron Brockovich. And so you constructed one with, you know, movie maker or similar using images from the movie and your own voiceover kind of describing what? the plot. It's insanity. <laughs> and, you, and you played these trailers during the commercials as we watched the Oscars. And I think that that is too specific of a memory for me to have and have it not be true. I honestly have no memory of it. <laughs> I remember like laughing and thinking like, oh, Josh made this cute little Aaron Brockovich thing. That was funny. That was funny, Josh. So, A, Soderbergh had two Best Picture nominees in the same year. Yes. Wow. And B, who else was there? <laughs> Elena was there and she remembers the party. She doesn't remember the 
the trailer thing because yeah. I did inquire about it. Um, and I'm sure Megan Furman was there mm. because this was fresh off of the Germany Poland tour right. <laughs> that we all enjoyed right. so much. She was this in a my major home player in all our my, lives. My basement. Yeah, apartment. I believe it was the one in in a Haverstraw. Yeah, is where it would have been. Wow. This is a year for me, Oscar-wise, that always needs to be thought of in context and all the different movies together because I did not have a favorite Mm -hmm. that year. I had, you know, better or worse between them. But for some reason, I remember distinctly that, you know, Gladiator, Crouching Tiger, Traffic, Aaron Brockovich. um, Was that the Chocolat year? It was released in 2000. So, yeah. 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 So that would have been the fifth that year. That's what I thought. I think that I would have voted for Chocolat that year. Really? Yeah. I think that was my favorite. I like that one. Aaron Brockovich was okay. A plucky heroine goes after some evildoers. Um, yeah. Traffic, which we will talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, completely competent. I don't know that it like grabbed my heart or my gut, but I thought just fine. Uh, Crouching Tiger for me was all visuals and cool direction techniques, but I barely remember the story. Mm-hmm. And Gladiator, I refused to see then, and I still haven't seen it. Well, I'd say you haven't missed much on Gladiator. Um, it's my heterophobia. <laughs> uh, cycling through those movies in my head, I mean, this now traffic is the freshest in my mind, but I don't think I've revisited any of those movies uh, in a very long time. Nor have I. I mean, traffic is probably the best one of the five. Yeah. Gladiator's beloved. I had such a bad attitude about Gladiator at the time. I just found it to be so... I don't know. I felt, I felt like it was bloated and, and overblown. I didn't didn't love it. I feel like someone who I knew really wanted us to watch Gladiator or something. And so mm-hmm. put it on VHS, like in the background. I'm sure I fell asleep in like three minutes Yeah, and never gave it a fair shake. For some reason, I just didn't like that movie. I didn't want to like it. I didn't like the idea of it. It offended me mm-hmm. <laughs> that it even existed. I probably at the time thought it was a... Uh... Braveheart ripoff, just change the historical setting and tell the story of Braveheart. But I don't particularly care about that now. I just look back on it and I just see a kind of a brown pixely mush of a movie. That's really very true. I don't think it was made that well. It looked like such a formula of, you know, guy does battle, guy triumphs over adversity. Yeah, I don't... Chocolat, on the other hand, is charming and beautiful. Yes. And I saw it in an art house. Has a great score. And it made me feel sophisticated mm-hmm. and that I was with it. Yeah. And there was warmth and wit and fun. I enjoyed that movie at the time very much. Yeah, I remember liking it a lot, too. For some reason, it wasn't quite serious enough for me at that point. Well, it was, yeah, it wasn't serious at all. Right. But that's it's a virtue. All right. Well, do I get to explain traffic since I, this is my yeah, choice? Yeah, it's your pick. You explain right. it. <laughs> Traffic is a very ambitious movie from Steven Soderbergh that looks at, tackles the the drug issue in uh, America and Central America uh, from a number of perspectives. So it's kind of a, one of these movies. It's got a big ensemble cast. It has a bunch of intertwining narratives, some which are more closely con- connected and others which are not so much so you have the main storyline perhaps is about uh an american was he a congressman he was something michael douglas plays a he was a a supreme court justice i believe in ohio who gets appointed to be the drug czar for the u.s right 
So Michael Douglas gets plucked by uh, Albert Finney and some unnamed presidential administration to be the drug czar. Uh, and meanwhile, his own daughter is spiraling into drug use. And that's the drama of his story. Catherine Zeta-Jones is the wife of a drug lord, head of some kind of a drug business. He is arrested and put on trial and her world starts to fall apart. She's being wiretapped by Don Cheadle and Louise Guzman, who are DEA, I believe. And uh, meanwhile, they're also involved in, in uh, busting a man who turns out to be a witness against her husband. Meanwhile, south of the border, we've got another storyline with Benicio Del Toro, um, and he is local police in Tijuana who kind of gets uh, caught up in the intrigue with uh, military general. I'm doing a bang up job laying this all out. It is complex. Yeah. I think you're doing just fine. Since, you know, it's illustrating how different things are in America. We have politicians and czars and men in suits who hammer out our drug policy and in, in government. But in, in uh, south of the border, you have the military policing these cartels. And then it turns out that the general is in league with one of the cartels. And what does he do with this information? And it's a very ambitious movie. Uh, stylistically, it does uh, a lot with filming those four or five different story threads in unique ways there's a different color palette there's a different feel a different kind of film stock for each of those sections and then goes back and forth between them one of the things i like about steven soderbergh is and this is mostly in hindsight i've always appreciated him and I'm not, he's not my favorite director and i don't think about his movies maybe as much as i ought to but he is extremely gifted at using style elevating style for the sake of storytelling Meaning a movie like Traffic, which is doing all these kind of very showy things with changing the way the film looks, uh, I feel like it's successful and it never feels gimmicky. But in that sense, I really appreciate the way he, and even today, he's still working. He's shooting movies on iPhones. He just made uh, High Flying Bird on Netflix and Unsane, uh, both shot on iPhone. So he's always doing something interesting with the filming technology, but I don't think at the, at the cost of the story. It's just doing that to make me feel bad about myself. Really? My my videos look terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, he holds the the he holds them horizontally. That's the first step. <laughs> That's why your robot never worked. <laughs> that was my March Simpson. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> See all the wires in there, Homer? That's why your robot never worked. <laughs> Right up top, I'm going to say, I think this movie holds up. I think my issues with it might be with its pacing and its length. Uh, some of the stories work better for me than others. And then in the end, I feel like, well, I don't know if a movie like this should have a lot of answers. And for its time, I felt like this movie was very restrained in its conclusions. But looking back, I wonder if it would be even more bleak if it was made today. I do think that this movie holds up. I enjoyed returning to it. I think that uh, Soderbergh is great with clarity on the multiple storylines. To me, it didn't seem overlong. Mm -hmm. And looking at the content through my eyes now, I was more overwhelmed with the scale and scope of the issue that he's addressing and how it's probably only you know exponentially worse now than it was then. Mm -hmm. There is so much money um, in this industry that you know even a nation like the US can't compete with with it yeah. to try to 
undo it or subvert it in any sort of way. It seems kind of hopeless. I think that I I was shocked that Catherine Zeta-Jones was 30 in that movie. I thought that can't be. And I'm Googling. Mm -hmm. She's 49 today. She's only 49. I have never been, I will never be as sophisticated (laughs) and cosmopolitan as as Catherine Zeta-Jones, such that her as a 30-year-old, I kind of like, "Mm, late 40s. Because she just seems yeah. so polished. Yeah, sure. So she's five and years older than me. And I mean, she was crazy. at that time also time right. relative. <laughs> same, same, <laughs> same amount. And now that I'm, you know, well over 30 myself, I'm kind of jealous sure. of all the life that she yeah. had in this movie at 30. She kind of turns into a horrific character. Yeah. At first, I kind of felt for her because she really did seem, though she wasn't asking any questions she seemed pretty unaware Mm -hmm. of what was going on. That seemed legit. And then when she was going to lose everything, she, you know, orders this hit and she just wants her husband back to continue doing this terrible stuff so that she can keep the life that she has. Yeah. And that was, that was pretty bleak as a character. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to think that maybe she would have considered her options of, you know, a witness protection situation, trying to get her son out of there Mm -hmm. Because he was, he's threatened in that world, right? Right. And thinking like, oh, I'm going to have to leave behind this opulence and yeah. my, you know, ladies who lunch thing. But maybe I can do what's right, and maybe my son can be safe, mm-hmm. and we can have a new life if we if we cooperate. And she just went the other direction completely, and that fine. That's the yeah. That's what happened with her character. But I didn't like. That. Yeah, she's brilliant in it i think she's really really good that is and and i I guess it might be a testament to her performance that i didn't even really think that through that it is kind of strange how she goes from naive you know doe-eyed to being basically filling the role of her husband's job yes by proxy but I, i have in my notes here that she and benicio carry the movie i think those are the two best performances oh certainly they're they're the emotional center i didn't feel as much um, emotion from the family storyline yeah. with Michael Douglas and uh, Amy Irvin. By the way, mm-hmm. speak, you know, speaking of traffic, a traffic jam uh-huh. of notable yeah. oh, stars yeah. in this. How many Oscars do you have to win in order to be bystander number three right. in <laughs> <Right>. this movie? <laughs> but but I, I was writing down, I had a little incomplete list of forgot abouts here. I forgot about Albert Finney. I forgot about Topher Grace. Forgot about Luis Guzman. Forgot about Clifton Collins, Dennis Quaid, Salma Hayek, Harry Reid, right. Chuck Grassley. <laughs> Viola Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, incredible cast. It's unreal to keep all of those characters organized. Yeah. And I think that he succeeds. Yeah. He does no, succeed. No, and so for an ambitious movie and a complex movie, it is remarkably, uh, it's a straight walk. You know where you are. You know what's going on, and I think that the 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 cast and the stylistic choices help that. So that when the screen turns blue, I'm back in the kind of you know the rich white American world of the Michael Douglas family. Uh, it it just kind of holds your hand a little bit, and it's not just to look cool; it's to help you digest the story. But getting back to the the Michael Douglas the family story, I. I don't know. To me, when I was watching it, I felt like it was it, it was a little closer to melodrama than than some of the rest of the movie. But I'm just wondering if, because it's more familiar, if I'm more critical of it, whereas I have not been to Tijuana. So I just kind of buy 
the portrayal of what life is like in Tijuana. For all I know, it's a harsh and, you know, inappropriate depiction of that. I don't know. It seemed authentic. It felt good. But does that make sense? Yeah. For me, I don't recognize the Michael Douglas world as my own. However, I do walk in it a bit in the area where I work. Yeah. And that culture is quite foreign to me. Mm-hmm. But this stuff happens. Like the the husband and wife, they're miserable to each other yeah. and they seem pretty unhappy. So whatever moral high ground he thinks he has with the work that he's doing, I would question that. Right. You know, he blames his wife. Oh, you knew about this six months. And she's right, saying, right. well, you know, I did this myself. And I feel like the film vilifies her a little bit. That's the world that she lives in. Yeah. There are parents who want to supply alcohol to their kids just so long as they'll drink it at home right. with their friends because they feel that's safe. And so there are these initiatives in these communities, say no to alcohol for your kids. And, oh, we had such great success. 67% of parents said that right. they wouldn't do this. Wow. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that seems <laughs> That seems nuts. Yeah. But this is the world that they occupy. And it's high pressure for the students to get into great schools. I mean, as we see through the college admissions scandal, mm-hmm. where this makes zero sense to me to spend millions on getting your kids into college, just give the kid the millions. Right. They don't have to go to college. <laughs> but but they're, it's part of that world. Mm-hmm. And what was this girl going to do besides that? She doesn't have any parental attention or supervision. Her parents yeah. can't stand each other. She's under a ton of pressure and she's with her friends just trying escalating levels of substances. It's a, it's a bleak picture and it's not exactly the world that I run in, Yeah, but I do think that it's a world that some people live in. And I wasn't saying that that's my world or that it looks familiar to me. I just mean relative to the, uh, to the other worlds in the movie. That's the one that is, you know, a neighborhood away. But, um, I remembered hating Topher Grace in this movie, but this time through, I realized it's because he's really good. He's perfect for the part of... Yeah, and his speech was compelling. Yeah, right. Right, and it's... Yeah, right. On the surface, it's just kind of college student, blow your mind bullshit, but he's right about... He is right, and that is a a mechanism of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. First off, that white people can get away with using drugs and buying drugs. And also it is putting other people in the place of selling them and rewarding them so well for that so as not to move beyond their station. I conflated in my mind the Tijuana storyline in in this movie with the Mexico storyline from Babel. Oh, and I mean I, that that's I not kept, hard to do. I know. I kept waiting for that scene, you know, with where she's driving over the border and but that was not this movie. So that was a few years later, right? That was more like 2006 or something. That sounds right. That's another one to revisit, I guess, someday. That is, that would be a good one to yeah. revisit. I have written down here the lemonade scene is great. Yeah, it kind of make, it makes her all the more complex. Yeah. Also, you mentioned the, uh, I don't know how you put it. She's having lunch with the ladies or whatever. That, the ladies do lunch. Yes, the ladies do lunch. That, the funny thing to me is I just revisited uh, the Cohen's Intolerable Cruelty a couple weeks ago. And that just that aspect of her character could be the same character from that movie, Rich Lady Lunch, where they compare plastic surgery and talk about their prenup agreements and stuff. I would assume that that resembles her life just a bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
So um, Oscars for Del Toro for this mm, mm-hmm. and for Soderbergh in kind of a, an upset. He wasn't expected to win that year. Right. So he was nominated for both. So I think people figured he would split his votes. Mm-hmm. And Ang Lee was kind of a runaway favorite for um, Crouching Tiger. And wow. with, with Gladiator in the mix too, I could just see vote splitting happening all over the place. Yeah. Such that he would emerge on top and it was a way to reward traffic and considering that it won for its screenplay and it won for film editing i have to feel that that was a real close best picture race because if you're winning director and an acting award and film editing and screenplay right that that can add up to best picture most any year gladiator won best picture right that's insane it did insane <laughs> I mean, it, we have no shortage of insane Best Picture winners, but that one's just, that's just... Yeah, I mean, and it's a good thing Russell Crowe won the Oscar that year because it wasn't going to happen the year after. Oscar for that role. That's I nuts. know. I know. That's crazy. Marsha Gay Harden won in a fun upset mm. in supporting actress. If I'm right, she didn't have a SAG nom, and that was complete left field. Mm-hmm. I think people had expected um, Kate Hudson... Or maybe even Judy Dench, though she would have just won. Crazy. But Cameron Crowe won that screenplay. Year. Oh, that's, that's nice. not nothing. Almost Famous is a good movie. Yeah, that's been meaning to revisit that. That's one that, I mean, I could give my holds up recommendation before I yeah. watch it again. Yeah. I was just asking who won Best Actress, duh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Julia Roberts. Still within the uh, Soderbergh verse. <laughs> Soderbergh verse. Sounds like a delicious soda burger. (laughs) One burger and a soda. So I like the movie's mission statement. I like the idea of a movie. I guess it does approach movie of the week kind of territory, especially in the Michael Douglas. I don't think it does. I I feel that more than trying to tackle, I think it explored Mm -hmm. three storylines and showed them it wasn't too preachy and it didn't come to a grand conclusion. I think that the final image is a compelling one, yeah. even though it might be a little Pollyanna of, you know, just a little community and some infrastructure and village life right. can go a long way. I mean, as we see from the other storylines, that doesn't always prevent right. anything, but the the judge and his family are living life on such a unnatural level, yeah. you know, so suburbiaized and so insulated from they treat nature like a museum that I don't, I don't think yeah. that just having a, you know, playing guess who as a family is going to really solve their problems. Yeah. However, as a community, if you don't have electricity or, or places to gather that are clean and uh, positive spaces that can contribute to, to turning to criminality. Yeah. I appreciated that last scene too, just because also everything we saw of Tijuana in the whole movie would give you the impression that it's kind of a, uh, mad max hellscape right so it was it was a needed counterbalance i would question his choice of using that grainy sepia and tijuana yeah i think what if he had filmed that in a really lush right right way and then used that filter for one of the other storylines instead of kind of Mm -hmm. to me taking a, a cheap shot at oh this is dust town right desert yeah yeah uh all right well I think we both like traffic. Do you do you think you appreciated it more this go around than you did back in two thousand? For sure, I am an adult now, and I was 
you know, kind of a kid then. And I think I was looking for different things in movies rather than trying to appreciate what it was that a movie's trying to offer. I also just appreciate Soderbergh from this vantage point. I like that he can do light, slick movies, that he can do very ambitious, serious movies. He can do experimental movies. And some work better than others, but I feel like he's a real workman. I feel like it's always worth spending time with one of his movies. I'm glad I did. This is a good one. <laughs> sure is. We talked like grown-ups who have, have thoughts and ideas. How long How long was this? Uh, we're over an hour. I forgot to stop the recording halfway through, Uh-oh. so we're just on one big long take, and we're at an hour and six. Yeah, I got off the little thing that I was sitting on, and I'm laying on a pile of blankets on the floor, staring up at oh, the wow. ceiling. Kind of like, no, you hang up first. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. You want to uh, you want to give us a tease as to what we might be looking at next week? Or have I haven't thought, thought about, it? about it. What 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 are on our list? I know that I need to come up with something. Uh, PTA has been coming up a lot. So. Oh, that's a thought. We've been getting longer and longer each week, so (laughs) why not? That's what she said. Well, not to put you on the spot. You have time to think about that. Uh, That's how we do this show. We've been Josh and Dan. I guess I should work that into the copy that people can follow us on Twitter at HoldsUpPod. Yes, yes. Our theme music is by Jonah Rapino. (laughs) Are you playing right now? (laughs) That's our show. We'll revisit you next time. If you want to, yeah, no, it's still good. I still like the commentary thing. Even though I was into it as a concept, it wasn't panning out, and it wasn't the right thing for us as a uh, pair of Mm -hmm. hosts. So that was fine. Um, This still works, I think, because this is a perfect basis for a conversation for us. It's simple. We both get to kind of assert ourselves on the subject matter and then it's just fun to talk about so i think this works totally as a framework i just don't love the title we hold each other up we in prayer and (laughs) mutual support and submission yeah that's right yep you you sharpen me dan that's what it is as iron iron sharpens iron sharpens iron